In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone had fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O virgins of virgins, our mother. To thee that we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petition. Within thy mercy, hear and answer, amen. A lady, seed of wisdom and spouse of the Holy Spirit, St. Joseph, St. Alphonse of Gori, St. Anthony Mary Claret, St. Paul of the Cross, St. Louis de Montfort, St. Francis, St. Anthony of Padua, St. Bernardine of Siena, St. John Capistrano, St. John Vianney and St. Pio, St. Isaac Jogues and Companions, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Two nights ago, I spoke upon death. Once again, it's certain. The only thing that's uncertain is the time of our death. Last night, I spoke on the judgment, the particular judgment and the general judgment. And there's a couple of very important things that I missed. I know we covered a lot, and I want to just correct, uh, not correct, just add to that list of examination for conscience. And I'll start with that first commandment, uh, thou shall not have false gods. One of the sins under the first commandment that I'd really like to just touch upon quickly is disrespect for priests. In the church today, there's an enormous disrespect for priests. And there's many bad priests, there's no doubt about it. But even in the traditional movement, I find that there's many... There's much disrespect for priests. And this is really shouldn't be. Even if the priest is a wicked priest, you have to respect the office of the priesthood. It's so, so important. And I've been all over this country helping out in the traditional movement. And I'm amazed the way people treat me as a priest. I must say, so far here, I haven't seen anything like that yet, thank God. And it's a horrible thing. You can't get to heaven without the priest. Simple as that. Okay? You can't. You can't receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ without the priest. You can't have your sins forgiven. God forbid if you fall into mortal sin without the priest. And you cannot receive the last rites without a priest. So we have to pray for the priest. St. Alphonse Ligari makes it clear that one priest receives more temptations than a hundred lay people combined together. Imagine, take a hundred of you, all those temptations, one priest receives more than that himself. Because Satan knows... It goes for the generals. If he takes a good priest down, one bad priest takes thousands and thousands of souls to hell with him. And one good priest takes thousands to heaven. So don't disrespect the priest. Too many people think they're theologians today. And they know more than the priest. Be careful. You're walking on thin ice. There's a lot of confusion in the church today. 
one parish, the pastor I saw, the people weren't treating him good. So he didn't know it, but I got in the pulpit and I straightened it out. I blasted them and I told him, wake up. He didn't know what I did, but the next day, two days later, he says, I wonder what's going on. I said, why? He goes, people are holding doors open for me all of a sudden. <laughs> I probably had stopped after I left, but the bottom line is that it's years ago when a priest walked in the room, everyone stood up. And rightly so, because of the dignity. It is the highest dignity that can be bestowed on any human being. And no one, especially myself, deserves that. But we have to respect the priesthood. Do yourself a favor. Read the book, Dignities and Duties of a Priest, by St. Alphonse Liguori. What St. Joseph Cafaso wrote a book priest, the man of God, his dignities and duties. And when you read about the awesomeness of the priesthood, you will have a deep respect. One time, St. Francis walked into a town and the people wanted, him, wanted to see what he would do to a priest who was living a scandalous life. He was in mortal sin. And St. Anthony, I mean St. Francis, kissed his feet, his hands. He says, even if an angel would appear next to a priest and I come up. I would not acknowledge the angel until I greeted the priest and kissed his hand and his feet. He even kissed the footsteps of a priest. Okay? So you pray for the priest and respect them. One of the saddest things when I do missions sometimes is I get in that confessional. I have to straighten out these messes for 30, 40 years. Thank God. And then it really hurts sometimes because I know i got to leave them behind with these wolves. Some of them are wolves. But like I said this afternoon, you have a good wolf here. All right? Father Wolf's a good man. You are fortunate. And so that's the one on the first commandment. The next commandment I want to get to is the fourth commandment. Especially, and, and this pertains to everyone too, but... With especially your children. What kind of music are you letting your children listen to? I went over literature, but rock and roll is from hell, my friends. Do not let your children listen to rock and roll. There was a video set that came out, and it's called Hell's Bells. And in the beginning of the tape, it says, If it looks like a duck, walk like a duck, and talks like a duck, it's a duck. And they said, Be, Read for yourself. Listen for yourself what these artists say. And I never forget Jimi Hendrix. They, they, they have him. They're interviewing. He says, when I get, he was a guitarist in the 60s. He said one of the greatest. He did, he did things they said nobody could do. And I'll tell you why. He tells you why. He says, when I get up on that stage, something comes into my body and takes over. It's not me. And then this thing in me plays a guitar and hypnotizes the people and pumps what he wants into that something what demons others admit that they consecrate their albums to Satan so when the people listen to it they can get possessed bad things happen I've had someone come to me more than once where they were listening to a rock and roll tape for years 
And then after three, four, five years, all of a sudden, they put it on and you could play and you hear people being tortured all of a sudden, screaming. People being tortured in hell. It scares the daylights out of them, thank God. I tried to burn one of these tapes once. It wouldn't even burn until the priest blessed it. From hell. One more thing with the fourth commandment, but this also has to do with the sixth and ninth commandment. I talked about immodest dress. Okay? And that, I didn't bring up, is about going to the beaches and to pools. You can't go to the beach today because it's an occasion of sin. Because half the people are nude, dressed half nude over there. It's immodest. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you may have that problem. You may be tempted when you see a girl like that. And this, I said, yeah, what about you? Are you, you? First of all, if you don't believe that, there's either two conclusions. Either you're a heretic and you deny original sin, concupiscence, or you're a homosexual and then you can't go to the beach either because you're going to be tempted by the men. You can't go to the beach. So if you have pools, you better make sure you're dressing very, very modest. This is important today. You don't want to lead your children into sin. And you don't want to lead anyone else into sin by the way you dress. And even if you do have a pool in your backyard, you better be modest. And the last one I want to uh, talk about from yesterday is very important. And when I was talking about the fifth commandment, abortion, if you vote for a pro-life, a pro-abortion candidate, you commit grave mortal sin because you are cooperating in murder. Okay? You are cooperating in murder. When a Catholic politician holds that abortion is good, that politician is what we call excommunicated, latte sententiae. Automatic excommunication. And we gotta pray that our shepherds start getting tough. And they say, not only deny them communion, they have to be publicly excommunicated. They are obliged to do that. First, they give them a warning. Because maybe they don't know what they're doing. They know, though. But you give them a warning. Say, in case you don't know, this is against church's teaching. You are supporting and murdering babies. And you are responsible for every baby murdered in this country then. And if they don't, they got so much time to retract and repent. If they don't, they should be publicly excommunicated for two reasons. Number one, so that the faithful will know that this is wicked and evil. And number two, for the salvation of that particular soul, so that they'll realize how evil the sin is that they are committing, that they will stop this nonsense. Okay? And so, those are, that wraps it up. But being that we're on that again, I just came across some news today that just totally almost fell off my chair when Father Wolf showed me this. And it's from Catholic Newswatch, and it says this. An atheist filmmaker has launched a website that encourages young people to blaspheme God on camera. To blaspheme God on camera. And this, this person, this despicable person, 
His name is Brian Fleming. Brian Fleming. You better pray, all of you, for his conversion tonight. And this is what he says on his sites. He says this. We want your soul. It's simple. You record a short message, damning yourself to hell. You unload it to you too. And then the rational response squad will send you a free The God Who Wasn't There DVD. It's that easy. Did you hear what, did you hear that? You should be outraged. And they want your children to do this. He goes on to say, he gives instructions for submissions to the blasphemy challenge. That's what it's called. You may damn yourself to hell however you would like. But somewhere in your video, you must say this phrase. I deny the Holy Spirit. Why? Because according to the Gospel of Mark in the Holy Bible, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus will forgive you for just about anything, but he won't forgive you for denying the existence of the Holy Spirit ever. This is a one-way, one-way road you are taking here. You hear what this demonic person from hell is telling your children? He is Satan almost incarnate. He's possessed. He's saying... He acknowledges Jesus Christ. He acknowledges the Holy Spirit. He says that he knows he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. He says Jesus will never forgive you. He says Jesus will forgive everything, but the unforgivable sin is a sin against the Holy Spirit. He believes in Jesus. He's a demon. And he knows this is unbelievable. And who's outraged? I better not be the only one who's outraged. You know, once again. And then, check this out. As of Friday, February 2nd. You know what day that is? Feast of the Presentation. 875 Blasphemy Challenge submissions have been recorded. 875. He told these kids, you do this. This is a one-way road. No turning back. Yeah, one-way ticket to hell. A one-way ticket to hell. What is going on in our country? God will not bless us. We are begging God to pour His wrath down when we allow lowlifes like this to blaspheme our God. This is a disgrace. You know, today we see all these scandals. We see the scandal in the priesthood, bishops, all kinds. But let me tell you something. God, our Lord, through his saints, St. John Hughes, tells us this. He says, when God is most angry with his people, the worst punishment that he could send amongst his people is to send wicked priests and wicked shepherds that instead of feeding the sheep, will devour them. 
Instead of gathering the flock, they will scatter the flock. This is what's going on, my friends. We are living in the wickedest generation ever. How long will God hold his wrath back? His mother is not going to be able to hold his wrath back much longer. And that's why these chastisements are beginning to come down upon us. We better pray as a community, as a church, and make reparation and atonement for the blasphemes. Blasphemies against our Lord, His mother, and His church. And so tonight, we move on to the next topic. A hot topic called hell. I told you last night I like to be like your guide to a, or a travel agent. When you want to go on vacation, what do you do? You call a travel agent and say, what's the temperature there? And you know, I'm going to tell you the temperature. What kind of, what's the culture? What kind of people there? I'll tell you what kind of people you have down there. So I'm going to give you a little guide through hell. Scary. But you know, you, one priest, after I did the mission, he said, now that after Father Isaac has scared the hell out of us, I said, well, thank you that my mission has been accomplished. Because I don't want you to go there don't want you there. And so, hell is the one doctrine of faith that is denied by most people today, even in our church. Why? Because the devil's greatest weapon is for us to believe that there is no hell, that there is no devil, so that we will not fear it or him. And this is the truth. Last year, right before I went to do a mission, there was a great interview of the head exorcist in Rome, okay, Father Amart. And I read it, and I'm going to read this now, some of it. You should look this up. It's 18 pages. It's loaded with a lot of sad, sad things. So the interviewer says to this, the head exorcist, he says, now, this head exorcist has done over 50,000 exorcisms already. All right? He says, you are locked in daily battle with the devil. What do you see as Satan's greatest success? Father and father, the head exorcist, Father Mort says, the fact that he has managed to convince people that he does not exist. He has almost managed it, even within the church we have a clergy, an episcopate, who no longer believe in the devil, in exorcism, in the exceptional evil the devil can instill, or even in the power that Jesus bestowed to cast out demons. For three centuries, the Latin church, in contrast to the Orthodox church and the various Protestant professions, has almost totally abandoned the ministry of exorcism. Totally, almost. So because they no longer perform exorcisms or study them, and never having seen them, the clergy no longer believe in them. And they no longer believe in the devil. We have entire episcopates, that means bishops' conferences, everything, trying to count counter exorcisms. We have countries completely devoid of exorcists, such as Germany, Austria, Switzerland, 
Spain, and Portugal. This is a shameful shortfall, he said. It says, and then the interviewer said, why haven't you mentioned France? Is the situation any different there? And he says, the most famous French exorcist, Isidore Frock, wrote a book entitled Exorcist. Who are they and what they do? Okay? The book never once says that exorcisms are performed in certain cases, and the author has said on French television on several occasions that he has never performed an exorcism and never will. What are you an exorcism for? Out of, listen to this sad fact, out of about 100 French exorcists, only five of them believe in the devil and perform exorcisms. You hear that? Only five out of a hundred believe in the devil and perform exorcisms. All the others send people who come to them to psychiatrists. And most of them are probably possessed. That's my little gloss. The bishops are first victim of the situation in the Catholic Church who believe that the devil ex exists is fading. If, okay? This is so, so sad. He goes on to tell you about bishop's responsibility. He said, but if a bishop finds himself having to address a serious request for exorcism, one that is, that does not involve a mental case, and he does not provide for it, he is committing a mortal sin. Powerful. And he is responsible for all the terrible suffering that that person endures. Suffering sometimes at last for years or all of his life in which the bishop could have prevented. I wouldn't want to have to answer for that. Are you saying, and then he, he goes on, but I'm going to read more. He says, and yet, he says, I can give you the names of so many bishops and cardinals who on their appointment to a diocese, stripped exorcists of their faculty to perform the rite, or there are bishops who openly say they do not believe that these things are of the past. This is crazy. Then he goes on, the, the interview, he says, do you feel that Satanism is on the rise? And he says, yes, very much so. When faith falls away, superstition increases. To use biblical language, I would say that one abandons God and turns to idolatry. In modern terms, I would say that one abandons God and turns to the occult. This is sad. The, the cult of the devil is proclaimed to entire peoples throughout the satanic rock mu through the satanic rock music of individuals like Marilyn Manson. You see what he's saying? Rock music is demonic. Even children are not immune from this assault. Their comics teach them magic and Satanism. Seances are very common in which the dead are summoned in search of answers. Today, people can hold seances by computers, telephone, televisions, and recorders. Surveys have found that 37% of students have played with a Ouija board at least once. This is a seance proper. 
At a school where I was invited to speak, the pupils told me that they even did this drawing their religious instructions, period, with the teacher's encouragement. Then he goes on to say, there is no distinction between white and black magic. When magic works, it is always the work of the devil. All forms of occultism, such as mass recourse to Eastern religious religions, with all their esoteric connotations, are an open door for the devil. And so he comes in immediately. You hear that? He comes in immediately. I told you yesterday that those religions are from hell. In some of these Eastern religions, they have what they call mantras. And in the mantras, you know what they do? They, call, they tell you, keep on repeating names. The only thing is they don't tell you what the names mean. They are demons. The names of fallen demons. And when you call them, he says it here, you open the door and they come in. This man knows what he's talking about. He deals with the devil every day. And when he has to do an exorcism, he commands the devil by the power of his priesthood and from the authority he receives from his bishop to exorcise demons. They must answer him whether they like it or not. And they tell him how they possess. He has to find out in order to cast the demon out. He has to find the demon's name. He has to find out what the demon's mission was. And he has to find out how long he's been possessed and how he got possessed to cast him out. He knows what he's talking about. Another question he goes, how does the devil go about seducing men and women? And the answer is his strategy is monotonous. I have told him so and he admits it. See, he says, I have told him so. He admits it. He convinces people that there is no hell. There is no sin. Just one more experience to live. Lust, success, and power are the three passions of which the devil insists. Once again, lust, success, and power are the three great passions on which the devil exists. He insists. What does that sound like? The American dream. Disgraceful. He says, how many cases of demonic possession have you come across? And he says, after the first hundred, I stopped counting. I was trained by an exorcist in, in, in my order. He was from Italy. And he told us there was whole towns, whole towns in Italy possessed. Not, it's not a Catholic country anymore. And he says, how does one fall victim to the devil? And the exorcist tells us, he says, we can fall foul of the exceptional evil sent by the devil for four reasons. Number one, if it works to the good of the person, in the case of many of the saints, God will allow that sometimes. I mean, he let St. Peel, for instance, be physically beat up many times by Satan. I saw pictures, real pictures, of St. Peel with black eyes, beat up so bad his face looked... Like he was beat up by ten people, and he was being carried down the hall by friars. One time, the devil was beating him up viciously, and he called on the mother of God. And the mother of God said to him, Pick up your weapon, P.O. And he said, What weapon, mother? She goes, Your rosary! 
That big, strong devil, he trembles when you pull out your rosary. You better be praying it. Okay? He's, the next reason, he says, is persistent ir- irreversibly in sin. Somebody who keeps on committing wicked, wicked, mortal sins. When you commit a mortal sin, your soul dies. And you're opening the door for Satan. Someone curses you when you're a mortal sin. You can get possessed if God allows it. The next is because of a curse via the devil. Once again. And the last, or by practicing occultism, praying the Ouija board, tarot cards, going to all those palm readers. And I'll just read one more thing. The father of Maud, the head exorcist, says, Behind Harry Potter hides, hides the signature of the king of darkness, the devil. You hear that? Behind Harry Potter hides the signature of the king of darkness, the devil. According to Father Amort, J.K. Rowland's books made a false distinction between black and white magic. Father Amort says that the distinction does not exist because magic is always a turn to the devil. So once again, I warned you yesterday, you're hearing the warning now from the head exorcist that Harry Potter opens the door to the occult and is from hell. And I'm sorry to say, there's many in the church, priests and others, that are promoting and saying it's a good thing. Don't believe them. And so the whole thing is many people deny hell because if they accept hell, they're going to have to accept the fact that they're going there because of their wicked sins. I never forget reading this. It was in the news in many places. In Russia, in Siberia, these Russian scientists were atheists. And they wanted to, to drill a bit into the center of the earth. They wanted to, see, they wanted to see how deep the center of the earth was and if it was totally solid. And they had this high-tech equipment. So they start drilling down. And this was in the newspaper. You could search it and you'll find it. And they were drilling down and finally they, they, it came up on the computer that the, the bit hit an open spot, a big open area. So they pulled the bit up. And I forgot it was over a mile deep or more. And they pulled the bit up. And they put a microphone down there. And they put their headphones on. These were atheists now. And they were trembling because they heard people screaming, screeching, people being tortured. They picked the the, the thing up, the microphone, and they covered it with dirt and they ran for the hills. Guess where most of the fathers of the church say that hell is in the center of the earth? And there's a tape recording of that, what they recorded. And I'm still trying to get a copy of it, because I wish I had it now. I'd play it for you. And I'm going to get it sooner or later. I'll find it. And if I do, I'll send a copy to Father Wolf so he can play it for you one day. It may be a good thing when you're tempted to sin, you put that on. And so hell is real. If you deny hell, you call Jesus Christ the liar. And he cannot deceive nor be deceived. Because he is a true God. Jesus Christ mentions hell over 35 times in the gospel. Because he doesn't want you to go there. St. Pio, the great saint, tells the story. A lady came up to him and said, You know, Padre Pio, I don't believe in hell. 
ha, 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 right? And you know what he said? Well, don't worry, miss. When you get there, you will. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want him to tell me that because he was a great mystic. Okay? So, hell is a dogma in the church. And if you deny it, and if you deny that Satan is, is a, a fallen demon and he's alive, you are a heretic. And you will end up in hell if you die that way. Hell is a place of punishment for those who die in mortal sin, deprived forever of the sight of God, to suffer terrible and eternal torments. Those merit hell, according to the gospel, who reject the faith of Christ and the light of the gospel. And according to the parables of the foolish virgins, the wicked rich man, the man who failed to make use of his talents, the man who did not show charity towards his neighbor, and the one who had not a wedding garment, which signifies the state of sanctifying grace. You know the, the parable of the wicked rich man that wouldn't even give crumbs from his table to Lazarus? He ends up in hell. You know what it says? And he cries out. He's begging. Can I have just one drop of water? No. He told him, please, Abraham, send, send a messenger to my brothers so that they don't end up here. And you know, it's kind of interesting when you read the comments from the fathers of the church on that. You know what they say is going on there? Does he really love his brothers that are still alive? Does he really love them and he don't want them in hell? No, he hates them. Because you can't love in hell. There's only hatred. He doesn't want his brothers in hell. Because his hell will be a million times worse if they go there. Because he helped get them there and they helped get him there. And they will curse each other for eternity. You see what I, what I said, too, about the man who did not show charity to a, towards his neighbor? Yesterday, when I was talking on the judgment, it was a long talk. I could have went on another two hours, believe me. But in the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about the end times. And our Lord says, many will say, but Lord, I did miracles in your name. I prophesied in your name. And he's going to say, I don't know you. He goes, where were you when I was hungry? And you did not feed me. Where were you when I was thirsty and you did not give me drink? Where were you when I was in prison? Those are what we call the corporal works of mercy. And he says, and they said, but where did I see you, Lord? He goes, what you did to the least of my brother, you did to me. And he casts him into the fiery pit of hell then. If you are not doing the corporal works of mercy, our Lord tells you himself, you will be cast into the pit of hell if you don't repent. And start doing it. And even more important than the corporal works of mercy are the spiritual works of mercy, which you never hear. Instruct the ignorant and so forth. So you better do them. They also merit hell, the Apostle St. Paul tells us, who are impious idolaters, unjust, thieves, covetous, drunkards, impure, adulterers, and so forth. To these, one might add, blasphemers, apostates, sacrilegious, militant, atheists, murderers, suicides, and so forth. All these people, if they don't repent of their sin, these are sins that cast you into the pit of hell if you die with them on your soul. 
after the sentence of the sovereign judge on the judgment day, the lost will immediately be seized by the demons and dragged to hell, where in addition to their own sufferings, they will be tormented forever by the demons. They will suffer not only in their soul, but also in their body. But the suffering in the body will not be the same for all. For the punishment will be proportionate to the number and gravity of sins committed by each one. In other words, the more sins you commit in this world, the lower and deeper you will go in hell. The deeper you go in hell, the more painful it will be. And tomorrow when I talk on heaven is the exact opposite. The holier you are in this world, the more merits you accumulate, the higher you go in heaven, the more glory you receive. Remember that, that everything you hear tonight is going to be the total opposite in heaven. And so, in committing sin, the sinner does two evils. He abandons God, the sovereign good, and turns to the creature. Since by turning to creatures the sinner offends God, he is justly tortured in hell by the same creatures, by fire and by devils. In this punishment consists the pain of sense. But because his greatest guilt and the malice of his sin consists in turning his back on God, his principal torment, his hell will be the pain of loss or the pain arising of having lost God. So what I'm going to do right now is go through the pain of sense. God has given us our five senses. All the senses and the power of the dam will have their proper torment. And the more a person has offended God by any sense, the more he will be tortured in that sense. It says in the Book of Wisdom, that they might know that by what things a man sins, by the same also he is tormented. So the very thing you sin with, you're going to see with your hands, your eyes, the more you do, the more you'll be tortured in that sense. We'll start with the sense of sight. All the damned will suffer horrible pains in their eyes. Their sight will be tormented with darkness and that will come from the smoke that issues from the fire of a hell. It shall form a storm of darkness, according to St. Jude, that will blind all the damned. Did you ever get smoke in your eyes? Talk to a fireman. He's the most irritating thing. Constantly rubber. You can't see. And it feels like it will never stop. Well, in hell, their eyes will be tortured. The only light that they will see in hell will serve to torment them. For the reprobates will see the deformities of their associates and devils. So you'll have enough light just to see those horrible monsters, those demons, those horrible other people, other reprobates in hell. Their bodies will look so hideous, so, so disgusting that if we were to see a body of a dam right now, the sight alone would cause so much fear that you would drop dead. It's how ugly and disgusting they will be. And why? For all the times you use your eyes for evil things. For all the times you looked at impure pictures, bad movies, other people, and so forth. 
For any time you've read anything bad, you will pay for eternity with that and will be tortured because of that. The sense of smell. The dam must remain in the midst of so many millions of reprobates. The greater the number, the more insufferable will be their torment. St. Bonaventure, the great doctor of the church, says that if the body of one of the damned was placed on earth, it would, by its stench alone, be sufficient to cause the death of all men. Imagine that, one body, that's all. The whole human race would die, the stench would be so bad and horrible. The worst smell you could smell in this world, and I know, is a dead body, and that is nothing, because there will be millions and millions of souls, bodies in hell, that will have a stench that will make you just totally vomit, and it will be disgusting. Their sufferings are more intolerable on account of the stench, on account of the shrieks of the damned, and on account of the narrowness of the place of hell. In hell they will be one over the other, like sheep gathered together in the winter. They are, said David, laid in hell like sheep. You ever, she, you ever see sheep all huddled together? That's how they're going to be in hell, all the souls. From this will arise the pain of immobility. In whatever position the dam will fall into hell the last day, in that they must remain without ever changing their posture or without ever able be able to move their hand or their foot, to blink their eye, to scratch their head or any other place that's irritating them. No, as long as God will be God, which will be forever and ever. For the rest of the conference, I don't want you to move. I don't want you to blink your eye. I don't want you to move your hand, your feet. It's horrible. Just imagine what it's going to be like with people on top of you, around you, side you. Horrible. The sense of hearing. The sense of hearing will be tormented by the unceasing howling and wailing of those miserable beings who are sunk in an abyss of despair. The devils will torment the damned by continual noises. They must listen incessantly for all eternity to the clamor and the cries of companions of their torments. It is horrible. And why? Because of all the times that they listen to impure jokes. For all the times that they listen to bad music, rock and roll. For all the times that they listen to calumny, detraction, gossip. They will be tortured in no sense of, in the sense of hearing. The sense of taste. The dam will be tormented by a ravenous hunger. But they will never receive a morsel of bread. Their thirst will be so great that not all of the waters of the ocean will be able to quench it. But they will never be allowed a single drop of water. For all the times... People give in to drunkenness for all the times they give in to gluttony and so forth. They will be tortured in their sense of taste. You know how horrible it is to, to not have, you know, to dehydrate? Your body gets a terrible fever and you won't receive one drop of water ever. And here's the big one, the sense of touch. 
The pain which most severely torments the senses of the damned arises from the fire of hell, which tortures the sense of touch. Even in this life, the pain of fire is the greatest pain one can know. St. Vincent Ferreira says that in comparison with the fire of hell, all fire is cold. And the reason is that the fire of this earth has been created for our use. But God has made the fire of hell purposely to torment the damned. Okay? You go into, you want to see people in pain, it's horrible. Go into a burn center where these burned victims come, firemen say, or anybody has been in a fire. It's a pain that doesn't go away. It seems like it will never go away. They have to peel their skin off. It's, it's, it's very pain. Even morphine doesn't stop the pain. But in hell, it will never stop. They will have, the saints tell us, and Anthony Mary Clara tells us, that the reprobates will have an abyss of fire below, an abyss of fire above, an abyss of fire on every side of them. If they touch or see or breathe, they will touch and see and breathe nothing but fire. Nothing but fire. He says they will live in fire like a fish in water. Picture a fish in a fish tank surrounded by water. But this fire will not only surround the dam, but also enter into the, their very bowels to torment them. Their bodies will become all fire. Thus this fire will burn the bowels, the heart, the brain, the blood within the veins, and even the marrow within their bones. Each of the damned will be in himself a furnace of fire. Thou shalt make them as a furnace of fire. It says in Psalm 20. This is horrible. And these are for those especially that abuse the sense of touch, which is basically the sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. So this is why we ought to meditate on this. When you feel tempted to do some bad sin, you meditate on that. You're not going to commit to sin. It's not worth it. One minute of pleasure for an eternity of pain. Now we're going to go to the soul, the powers of the soul. Remember, man is a composite of body and soul. When a man sins, his soul cooperates in the sin. And so does his body. Therefore, the body must suffer pains for eternity, but also the soul. And so the dam will be tormented in the memory by the remembrance of the time which was given to them in this life. That they may have, that they might have saved their souls in which they spent in procuring their own damnation. By the remembrance of the graces which they have received from God and of which they have not profited. You know what kind of torture that's going to be? They'll remember every grace that God gave them from the moment they were conceived in their mother's womb to the moment they die. And God is constantly giving us graces. He's the hound of heaven. You don't remember a fraction of the graces he's given you. But if you end up there... You will remember it, and it will torture you. The souls in hell will be tormented in their understanding by thinking about the great good which they have lost 
and losing heaven and God. And that this loss is forever and irreparable. They'll understand everything. You don't understand everything now. But if you, when you die, you will understand everything. And that is a torture. Because you will understand how awesome God is. And how he deserves to be loved. And you can do nothing but hate him. Torture. These reprobates will suffer in their will. They will be tortured by seeing that they will be refused whatsoever they ask for and desire. These miserable beings will never have anything they desire. And they will be forever afflicted with the eternal torments which they abhor. They would wish to be rid of these torments and to enjoy peace. But in these torments, they will remain forever. And peace they will never find. You hear me? The souls in hell. They'll be tortured forever by these torments. They will want, they'll have all kinds of desires. And they will never be answered, one of them. Never. We come to the greatest pain, the pain of loss. The pain of loss increases into proportion to the value of what one has lost. The souls in hell have lost God. Therefore, they have lost the infinite good, and therefore their punishment will be infinite. The pain of loss. If you were to go, if you were to lose five cents tonight, it wouldn't bother you too much. If you were to go home and found your house, God forbid, burnt down, or if you had a million dollars and that was stolen, it would hurt a lot more than losing a nickel because the more you lose, the more it hurts. How much more would God, the infinite good, Souls in this life, these reprobates, they live in blindness. But at death, they will know what they have lost. Conviction that God is infinitely good and that he is compelled to hate him. Why he sees that he is worthy of infinite love. They will hate and curse God, his benefits of creation. They'll curse the day that God created them. They will wish they never existed. But they will exist forever. They will curse their redemption in the sense that God made it possible for his son died on the cross and redeemed them. Made it possible for their redemption. They will curse that day because they rejected it. The sacraments they will curse for eternity. They will curse the fact that many of them were baptized into the one true Catholic church. And they, re and they blew it. They didn't care. All the graces God gave them. They will curse all the saints. Especially their patron saint. Why? You know, the church is so awesome and so wise that you have to name your baby after a saint. Why? Because it's protection. Your patron saint protects you. He helps get you to heaven. These reprobates in hell will curse their, all the angels, the good angels, especially their guardian angel who God gives you at the moment of your birth to protect you, to guide you, to get you to heaven. When you do good sometimes, who do you think it is? You? It's not you. It's your guardian angel telling you, do good. Don't do that. Above all, they will curse the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
because she was a true mother, that she, the mediatrix of all graces, did everything to win that soul over. You, you mothers know how much it is to love your children. I always tell the closest thing you can come to God's love in this world is a mother's love. You love your children no matter what they do. No matter how wicked they are, you still love them. How much more the Blessed Mother, who suffered at the foot of the cross, she is the co-redemptrix. And they will curse her, knowing that they should love her, but they can't. And now, one of the, my scariest meditations on hell is when I meditate on that hell is eternal. He who enters hell will not depart for all eternity. In hell there is one gate for admission, but there is none for exit. It's a one-way ticket, like that clown who wants these people to blaspheme your young children. He says it's a one-way road. No way back. No, he's from hell. So there's only one gate lets you in, but you never get out. In hell there is no hope, only despair. The damned not only suffer these torments of each moment, but in each moment they endure the pain of eternity, saying, what I now suffer, I must suffer forever. Imagine that. That is a powerful statement. That the damned not only suffer all these torments of each moment, but in each moment they endure the pain of eternity. All of us have experienced at some point in our life horrible pain. And, you know, we only experience it that moment. But what if you had to experience that pain and know that that pain will never go away forever? It'd be torture. Torture. Hell, my friends, is irrevocable. You cannot get out. Once you are cast into the pit of hell, it is sealed. Never, never will you be released. Meditate on that. And so the fathers of the church, there's one father, he tries to get us to think on these terms. And we are finite human beings, so we can't think about the infinite. And so he says, he gives an example, an analogy. He says, picture all the oceans in the world. We know the world is made up of three quarters of the world is made up of water, of the oceans. He says, empty those oceans. And we know now that those oceans, some of them are over 5,000 feet deep. You know how much water you're talking about? He says, now empty them. And at the rate it would take at one drop of water every thousand years. Now make believe that drop wouldn't evaporate. He says, how long would it take for all those oceans to be filled up? This little cup here. Imagine how many thousands and millions and billions of years it would take at one drop every thousand years. He says, but guess what? As time goes on, eventually it would be filled. And then you know what hell is? Empty it again and start all over. In other words, Judas is in hell for 2,000 years already. And it's just like it just begun for him. It will never end for him and all the other reprobates that are there. And I hate when they tell us, well, the church says we can't say any, uh, anybody's in hell. It's nonsense. The great saints have no problem telling you Judas, we could start with him, start with Cain, the first apostate in the Old Testament. 
Okay? So what I want to do right now, because I can't do no justice to this topic. That's why I encourage you to read St. Alphonse, Preparation for Death, other great saints, like St. Robert Bellamy has a great little booklet in tan called Torments of Hell. Get that book. Read this book. And you keep one in your back pocket. You're tempted. Whip that out. And you read it. You won't commit that sin. And so I want to read to you for some mystics who have seen hell. And these mystics are proved by the church. The first one is one of my favorites. Her name is Sister Josefa Mendez. Okay, she lived in the early 20th century, around the time of St. Pio. She was a nun, and she was a victim soul. And she has a book you could get right now with all her rides tan cells. It's called The Way of Divine Love. What an awesome book. And she used to literally physically go to hell in a literal sense, physically, to suffer for souls so that they wouldn't go to hell, especially priests. Okay? And her superiors didn't believe her. She was a religious. And so one day they're in her cell. A cell is your room where you sleep as a religious. And she had a superior on her left and on her right. And the superiors thought she was crazy. Yeah, yeah, you're going to hell physically. Yeah, sure. And right in, in between, both of the superiors, she disappeared. Her body was gone. Like that. Gone. Gone. So the nun, the superiors, they started to pray. And I forgot how long it went, how much time. And you know what happened? She came back into the room between both of them. But when she came back, her habit was on fire. Flames were shooting up. Her back was burned. And the stench of sulfur was so bad that they had to run out because they were ready to vomit. They couldn't take the smell. The stench was so bad. So listen to what she says. Get that book because she really teaches you how to want to desire and suffer in union with God to redeem your own soul and others. She says this. One of the damned souls cried out, This is my torture, that I want to love and cannot. There is nothing left me but hatred and despair. If one of us could so much as make a single act of love, this would no longer be hell. But we cannot. We live on hatred and hatred alone. Some yell because of the martyrdom of their hands. Perhaps they were thieves. For they say, where is our loot now? Cursed hands, why did I want to possess what did not belong to me? And what in any case I could only keep for a few days. Other curse their tongues, their eyes, whatever was the occasion of their sin. Now, old body... You are paying the price of the delights you granted yourself. And you did it of your own free will. I saw many worldly people fall into hell. And no words can render their horrible and terrible cries. Damn forever. I deceive myself. I am lost. I am here forever. There is no remedy possible. A curse on me. Some accursed people, other circumstances. 
and all curse the occasion of their damnation. Another day she says, today I saw a vast number of people falling into the fiery pit. They seemed to be worldlings, and the demon cried out loudly, The world is right for me. I know that the best way to get hold of souls is to rouse their desire for enjoyment. Put me first, me before the rest. No humility for me, but let me enjoy myself. Another great mystic is a Franciscan Capuchin nun named Sister Veronica Giuliani. She is an awesome saint. She had the stigmata, all the wounds of Jesus Christ. And she was a great mystic. And she said she had many visions of hell. And here's a couple of them. On February 14, 1694, she saw hell open, opened up in front of her. She says, many souls were fallen into it, hideous and dark and terrifying to behold. They disappeared into the middle of the flames. She could hear the howls and the blasphemies of the damned. And with it all there was a stench and horrible darkness. Another day, January 27, 1716, she said, The Blessed Virgin Mary appeared unto her, summoned two angels to be her guardians and lead her in spirit to the gates of hell. She found herself facing a darksome place, deep and stinking, out of which came noises of animals, the hissing of snakes, dreadful voices, and claps of thunder. She perceived a tall mountain, all covered with serpents and vipers. Curses were issuing from beneath them. Then the mountain opened and seemed to be filled of damned souls. And demons beholding them bound with chains of fire. She saw other mountains, the scenes of torment, even more cruel. In the center of this infernal abode was raised up a throne. There sat Lucifer, a frightful sight to see. He seemed to have a headpiece composed of a hundred heads, all stuck with spears. And on the butt of each there was a sort of eye, emitting spurts of fire, which set all hell ablaze. The number of the demons in the dam was incalculable. Yet each of these beheld this horrible head and received from Lucifer torment upon torment. He saw them all and they all saw him. Here, she said, my angels gave me to understand that just as in heaven the sight of God brings happiness to all the saints, so here in hell that dreadful form of Lucifer, that hellish monster, brings torment to the damned. Their greatest punishment is loss of God. This is the pain that Lucifer endures first of all, and then the rest of them participate in it. He blasphemes, and all blaspheme. He curses, and so do they. He suffers and is tortured, and all suffered 
suffer and are tortured too. I believe, she said finally, that if I had not my angels with me and had not been fortified by my dear blessed mother, I would have died of horror. As I have told, all I have told of it is a mere nothing. And all that I have heard of it from preachers is nothing at all when compared to what I saw. You know, I'm, I can't do justice to it. Even her description, she says, nobody can do justice to what's awaiting those souls that reject God's love and mercy. This is horrible. And there's one more. This, his name is Venerable Bernard de Hoyos. And this man lived in the 18th century. And while making the spiritual exercises one day, he had a terrible vision. At God's command, his angel guardian conducted him to the edge of the abyss of hell. I saw, he said, an immense sea of fire. Some of the damned, driven by fury, came forth from it, but fell back at once, drawn in by the devils and dragged towards the abyss. Then I beheld the particular forms of punishment which are dealt to the unchaste, the covetous, the malicious, and others, overcome at the sight of these monstrosities and deafened by their blasphemies, I averted my eyes. After we had gone a long way farther, my angel said to me, Come and look and write down what you see. Then the path I was following gapped before me, and I saw a hollow cave more even more horrible than the first. Here were imprisoned unworthy priests, guilty of sacrilege. These wretches suffered more than the rest of the damned. They were tormented especially in those parts of the body which had touched the sacred host. Their hands were like burning coals. Their tongues were torn and hanging out of their mouths. Their hearts were consumed with intense fire, a prey too frightful to behold. These are the saints. Hear what she's saying? And the saints tell us the priests that go to hell go to the deepest part, the bottom pit. Those that celebrate Mass in mortal sin. St. Alphonse warns the priests, if you celebrate Mass in mortal sin... God will take a vengeance on you. But that's how much God loves you. That he'll still feed you with his flesh and blood. He's faithful. No matter what. Even though that priest desecrates him. You have to pray for the priest. A priest has such an awesome vocation. No one commands God. No one. The mother of God... Blessed Virgin Mary does not command God. She requests, and she's never denied. But she does not give demands. But every priest demands God. Every priest. When he says those words, the sacred, the sacred words that were instituted by Christ at the Last Supper, if he's a validly ordained priest, and he used proper matter and proper form. And his intention is there. 
when he says those words, God, Jesus Christ, must listen and descend from heaven. I tremble when I think about this as a priest. Because I have to answer for every Mass that I celebrate. That's why St. Alphonse goes on to say that the priest should be purer than the Blessed Virgin Mary. Of course, that's impossible. But he should strive for that. His tongue should be holy. His hands. Okay? He goes, why? Because the Blessed Virgin Mary, the incarnation only took place once in her womb. But through the priest's hand, it takes place every day. God comes down from heaven. What an awesome responsibility. And that's why they go to the bottom of the pit of hell. In Dante's Inferno, one time they say, well, where's all the Franciscan? We can't see him. And he went to the deepest part and he lifted up the tail of the dragon. And they were all the way under there, experienced the worst pains possible. Pray for us. Pray for yourself that you don't end up in hell. That's why I speak on this. You think it's fun getting up here, delivering this message? It's not. Okay? And so, what do I want to do now? I want to end this conference because I want to speak on, to me, the most important thing. The key to salvation. The key to salvation, once again, is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Without the Blessed Virgin Mary, there is no salvation. It's as simple as that. This is so, so important. And Satan hates her with a passion. Nothing drives him more nuts than the mother of God. Nothing. And this is important because all the graces we need for salvation come to us from our mother. Okay? We read. We read in the scriptures, Genesis 3.15. When Adam and Eve committed the sin, God was ready to cast them out. And he didn't want to leave them in despair. Because our Lord is an awesome God. If God wanted to cast our parents into the pit of hell, it would have been just. Anyone who commits a grave mortal sin deserves to go to hell. Okay? But he didn't do that. He gave them hope. He gave the first evangelical prophecy in Genesis 3.15. So I will put enmities between thee and the woman, her seed and your seed. She shall crush your head and you shall wait for a heel. You know what that's like telling somebody, she will crush your head and you're just going to wait there. You can't do nothing about it. And she's going to stomp on you. That's in the Immaculate Conception. We look at the statue. She's crushing the head of the serpent right there. Her and her seed, a lady. Seed is Jesus Christ. And those of us are consecrated to her. Those that are baptized in the Catholic Church, we are her seed too. Okay? In a mystical way, when Christ was present in his mother's womb, we were there mystically with him. Why? Where the head is, the body is. The church tells us that Christ is the head of the church. Those that are baptized in his church make up the body of his church. But what connects the head to the body? The neck. 
And so the fathers of the church call our lady the nexus. She connects us because all graces come to us from God through his mother. Okay? This is so, so important. Okay? What does God do? He he, he uses the very means that Satan used to conquer the human race. He uses it to humiliate the serpent and conquer him. Read St. Irenaeus. Awesome stuff. He talks about other saints too. Our Lady's role in salvation. We have Eve, a virgin. We have the new virgin, the new Eve, the blessed virgin Mary. We have a garden, right? And we have a a fallen angel in the garden of Eden. We have the blessed virgin. God sends another angel, a good angel. The serpent puts doubt into Eve's mind and then tells a lie. The angel of God, Gabriel, speaks the truth. Shall conceive and bear a son. He shall be God, Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? What happens? Eve believes the lie and she disobeys God. Eve, that means mother of the living, became mother of the dead. The Blessed Virgin, she discerns the Spirit. She don't just accept this word. She says, how can this be? I do not know man. Because Our Lady was a consecrated virgin. Three years old, she entered the temple. We know this through tradition. And God wanted her to be a consecrated virgin. And He would never go against that. You know, Our Lady had many gifts, preternatural gifts. Our Lady had infused knowledge. Everything. Our Lady was able to make acts of love. Faith, hope, and charity, love in her mother's womb the minute when she was conceived as a little embryo. Devil hates that. She sang God's praises from the second she was brought into the world in her mother's womb. And so Our Lady knows the Scriptures. Our Lady tested the Spirit. She didn't just say yes. And of course, the angel of God comes up with the right answer. The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you, and you shall conceive and bear a son. Our Lady knew right away that was from God. Why? The Old Testament, when the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, would only move when the, the overshadow of the Holy Spirit, the cloud. When the cloud moved, they had to move. When the cloud stopped, they stopped, because that was the Spirit of the living God. So Our Lady knew then that this is from God and then once she knows it's from God she doesn't hesitate and she gives her fiat unconditionally unconditionally be, I am the handmaid of the Lord be it done to me according to thy word you know our lady wasn't no dumb ignorant 15 year old Jewish girl she was the most brilliant creature ever created by God St. Jerome said that she knew the Bible the scriptures better than any Pharisee scribe in that day. She knew all the prophecies of her son inside out. She knew that if she would say yes to this awesome request, that her son would come into the world not to live, but to die. She wasn't stupid. And she still said yes because she loves you. 
She did everything for you. And her condition, once again, unconditional. We must imitate the Immaculate Fiat. We must say yes to God unconditionally. How many of us don't say, yes, Lord, I love you. I'm willing to do this, but I only go this far. Please, that's too much. Back off. Back off. Come on, you're, this is too much, Lord. This is what we need, saints. Consecrate yourself to the Mother of God. And so we want to imitate her fiat, her yes. St. Alphonse Liguori tells us, God would not have crucified Jesus unless the Blessed Virgin consented, unless she gave her fiat once again at the presentation of the temple. She brings Jesus to the temple to present her first son, her only son. Okay, our Lord wasn't bound by those laws. He's God. But God wanted him to go. He goes. And what happens? Simeon told her that a sword will pierce her heart. More, as time goes on, more and more of the mysteries revealed to her too. And St. Alphonse says at that very moment, she had a consent. She didn't have to. She was re- if she didn't consent to the crucifixion of her son, God the Father would not have allowed his son to be crucified. Why? Because she's truly the mother of God. And she has maternal rights over Jesus. She said yes. Imagine what she felt when she was holding that baby, that beautiful baby in her arms. Ah, that's one thing that I'm so happy about here. I see so many young children. It, it brings me joy. Brings God joy. But you may take one of these little babies. Imagine a blessed virgin holding her baby, flesh of her flesh, blood of her blood, bone of her bone. But she knows this is not just a baby. This is a divine person, God. Those beautiful hands. She knew that nails would be driven through those nails. Why did God become man? To save the human race. Okay, because man offended God. Therefore, man must make the atonement of the sin. Man can't make an atonement for an infinite offense. The offense that Adam and Eve committed was infinite. Therefore, only a man can make atonement. But no man can do it. So the second person of the Holy Trinity takes flesh and becomes a man like us in all things except sin. Now he could make atonement for man's sin because he is a man, but he's a divine person, not a human person. And therefore he can make atonement in an infinite way because every act that God performs, Jesus Christ, is infinite. But he needed hands to be nailed to a cross. He needed a head to be crowned with thorns. He needed a back to be scourged. And he needed feet to be nailed to the cross. A heart made of flesh and blood to be pierced with a sword. Where did he get it? From her, our mother, the Blessed Virgin. And so, God wants us to imitate his son. Jesus comes to us through his mother, and we must go back to him through his mother. Okay? St. Louis de Montfort tells us, if you do not have Mary for your mother, you cannot have God for your father. And that is a fact. 
You can't. John Newman, the great convert from, from Anglicanism. You know what he said about Our Lady? He said about Our Lord. He says, you know why Jesus is unknown in the world today? Because his mother's unknown. And he said that Our Lady's on every page of the scripture from Genesis, the woman that crushes the head, to Apocalypse, the woman in glory. All right. This is, this is true. The reason why Christ is unknown because his mother, why? Isaiah 7.15, she is the great sign. How do you know the Messiah? The woman, the virgin, shall bear a son. That's the sign. So, I can't speak enough on this because, believe me, this is the key. If you get this right, and you, lend, you love the Blessed Virgin Mary, she will teach you how to love Jesus with your whole heart and soul. You want to have devotion to Jesus in the Eucharist, you start being devoted to the Mother of God. And I guarantee you, your Eucharistic devotion will grow leaps and bounds. And your desire to receive Jesus in, his, in, the, in the Eucharist, day in and day out. And you'll make holy communions. You tell the Mother of God, teach me how to receive your son in a worthy manner. Teach me to desire the Eucharist. Make spiritual communions. And so, consecration means this, something set aside for God. When we consecrate ourselves to the Mother of God, St. Maximilian Kolbe, a great saint from Auschwitz, tells us what? We become the possession and property of the Mother of God. We give her all our merits, all our prayers, everything is her. Every communion I receive goes to the Blessed Virgin. I don't, want, I don't get no merit. It's all yours, Mother. Every time I pray, every rosary is for her to do what she wants, whenever she wants, as much as she wants, whatever. And this is so important. St. Louis de Montfort calls, if we become slaves of the Immaculate, it means the same thing. And when you do this, it's so powerful because Our Lady's pure. And when we give her something, it becomes her possession, her property. And so you could do a simple things: Pick up a piece of paper on the floor on the way out of the church and say, Blessed Mother, I'm picking this up for love of you. Save souls. When you change that smelly diaper next time, say, Blessed Mother, I, I do this for you. You know how many souls you can save? Because the Blessed Mother takes it, becomes her, she purifies it. We have mixed motives. Because we have a fallen nature. She is pure. And when we give her that, the other thing is that she knows how to glorify God ultimately right now. What does God want at this moment to be glorified? And that's what we should desire in our hearts, to glorify God ultimately. And what happens is, there could be a soul maybe in China that's dying, an atheist, and God wants him saved for whatever reason. And the Blessed Mother say, here's that grace. That young little girl back there, that young little girl did, did a nice act today. She gave it to me and I saved a hundred souls. It's not what you do, but the love that you do it with. That's how awesome the mother of God is. And I used to get paranoid, you know, when I first started embracing this. And I went to some priest and they said, ah, that stuff's not for everyone. I said, he's from hell. I knew that. I said, if saints are telling me this, then who am I going to listen to, saints or him? And I, I was worried I was loving our, our lady too much. I didn't want to fall into it. And this, you know what this priest told me? He, go, he told me what St. Maximilian Colby said. 
He says, don't worry about loving the mother of God too much. When you love her more than Jesus does, then worry. You understand? You can't do that. Because he loves his mother infinitely. So when you praise her, it fills our Lord with joy. St. Maximilian Colby made this statement once. And when I first read it, I, 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 I struggled. I said, man, this is, this is a strong statement. He says, when you, when you say our, our ladies will be done, in one sense you give more glory to God when you say God's will be done. I said, how can this be? How can this? And you know what? The answer is very simple. Because our lady is a creature. She's a human being. But she's the immaculate. And her will is totally one with God. Totally one. And so it glorifies him because she always does his will. And so he loves that. And I love to brag about my mother because she, she, I owe her my, where I am right now. I'm not saved yet. We're not Protestants. But I got a lot better chance now that I'm consecrated to her. I tell her all the time, you know, I'm your property. You better shake me up, crack me over the head, do whatever you want. But she's kind of gentle, you know. So this is, I mean, we, we got to go to the mother of God. We've got to go to her. And so, devotion to Our Lady, once again, is everything. Pray to her. Consecrate your children to her. This is important. I, I can't stress it enough. Look at Fatima. Our Lady came at Fatima. The three seers. She told us what her son wants. He said that I will triumph through the Immaculate Heart of my mother. What do you think they don't want to consecrate Russia for? She's going to crush his head when that happens. Okay? This is so, so important. We've got to pray for Russia to be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary by the Pope in union with the bishops. And it hasn't been done because she promised when it's done, Russia will be converted. Russia will be converted. So go to the Blessed Mother. Once again, St. Louis and Mark said, you could have one hair sticking out of hell. You call on the Mother of God. She will pull you out. Consecrate your children. I don't care. You have maternal rights over your children. I always instruct women. The minute you conceive a baby in your womb, consecrate that baby to the Mother of God right away. And when the baby's born, when I baptize babies, after the baptism, we go to the statue of Our Lady and have the mother, the parents, the mother and father, because they have maternal rights, consecrate their baby again to the mother of God. At that moment, she owns that baby. She owns it. And she'll get that baby into heaven, believe me, no matter what it takes, whatever it takes. Your, your children, no matter how far away they are, no matter how old they are, if you didn't consecrate them, consecrate them now. You have maternal rights. It could mean the difference of their salvation. Okay? It could mean the difference of their saving their soul or not. Our Louis de Montfort tells us in the end time, God's going to raise up saints that will do greater work than all the apostles. But they will be totally consecrated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Totally. And I'm telling you, so I'm encouraging you, never give up on your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, whoever it is. Don't do it. And I'll share you something, and, I'm t- and it's not to bring any attention. I get no credit for what I'm going to tell you whatsoever. I get no credit. It's my mother's credit. When I was 
I wanted to be a priest when I was, since I was five years old. Since I was five. When I, I was an altar boy. I wanted to go, I was ready to go to high school seminary. And when I went to the seminary to visit, I told my mother I would not go to school with those effeminate boys. I didn't use that particular term back then. But anyway, that's what I said. No way. Because I was a tough little kid. All right? And so, unfortunately, I went astray for 17 years. 17 years. And I lived a wicked life. I'm not proud of it. I won't even go into the things that I did. But I should have died, and I'm not lying, probably hundreds of times. I had car accidents, flipped over a car, climbed up the side of a tunnel, flipped over. If I had my seatbelt on, I would have been cut in half. I had a motorcycle accident over 60 miles per hour head on. I'm flying through the air. I see my whole life flash before in my face. Everything I ever did from when I was a baby until 17 years old, I saw everything. I said, I'm going to hell. I, I thought I was judged. And when I hit the floor, I didn't feel nothing. It felt like I hit a pillow. I had a little scratch on my elbow. I should have been dead. I should have been either dead or a vegetable. And so I lived, and when I was 30 years old, I had a conversion. And you know what? A year later, I end up in the seminary. And you know what my mother told me? She drove me to the seminary and she said, I have to tell you something that I never told you before. I didn't want to pressure you. I didn't want you to do my will, but God's will. She goes, when I conceived you, I consecrated you in my womb to be a priest. No, yeah, to be a priest to the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's what she said. And when you were born, I renewed that. And then she said, she wrote to St. Pio, he was alive. I was born in 1959. And she said, she requested to be a spiritual child of his. And she also said, pray for my son James to be a priest. She got a letter back from St. Pio accepting that, and he told her that I would be a priest. She never told me that. And I, I can't thank my mother enough for what she did, because I would be in hell now for many, many years. Many years. So I owe her, and I owe her everything. Okay? And this is unbelievable. My mother told me then she ended up getting sick a year after I entered a religious order. One month after I entered a religious order, she comes down with a rare blood disease, amyloidosis. It destroys your organs one by one. My mother suffered for six years, unbelievable pains. She died. She was in, uh, came back to life five, five, six times at least. She lost her eyesight once, came back. Oh, she, I mean, she, she was on dialysis three, four times a week, which was the a, a, a most horrible pain that I ever seen, witnessed. I used to go there, and I saw these people. They would scream and yell because it was so painful. One a couple of them told me that it gets so painful they don't have windows that open there. You know why? Because they said that they literally people would jump out. That's how painful it gets sometimes. And my mother was never without her rosary. I, I, I was wondering, the more she prayed, the more she suffered. At her funeral, all these people came from that hospital, tons of them, and they, they said they never had a patient like her because she was consecrated to the mother of God. But when she was dying, she told me then that she offered herself to God, whatever it would take to save her husband and her children. My father didn't practice the faith throughout his life a year and a half before he died, two weeks before his 46th birthday. He had a conversion, went to Mass every day. Seventeen years I was where I had my conversion, my mother's grace. And I have 
my mother had six children. There's only my sister and myself who practice the faith. The rest of them are lost right now. So I got to carry the ball. But she told me when she was dying that day, I didn't think she was going to die. I thought she pulled through once again. She held my hand and I was encouraged. I said, Ma, St. Alphonse says that when you're dying, she knew this already, if you accept your death, if you know you're dying, you can go straight to heaven. It's an act of perfect love. So I said, Ma, and she said, I said, all for Jesus, right? Whatever he wants. She nodded her head. And then she could hardly talk. But the last word she said to me was, son, all my life, all I've tried to do is God's will. And that was the last words my mother ever said to me. And so I tell you this because God wants you, too, to fight for your children's soul. Because Satan wants them. He despises your children, your mother, your father, everyone. And there's so many stories. Read the glories of Mary. Well, I told you that story about John Vianney, about the man who committed suicide. The lady daughter, her husband died. She said, no, between the bridge and the water, God gave him a grace to make a perfect act of love. And it was only because he gave the Blessed Virgin Mary flowers once. Don't underestimate the power of the Mother of God. Okay? Don't. And trust yourself. Once again, pray to Our Lady. Consecrate yourself to Our Lady. And believe me, you will save your soul. Your family will save their souls. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.